The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Hi, guys. Hope you're doing well. This is Pastor Darren. We're uh, coming to you live from our basement here. Uh, Good morning. Hope you're doing really well. And uh, we're here today to study over Romans chapter 15. And uh, just want to remind you this morning that uh, this is a time of Bible study, and we want to invite all of you to join us for that. Uh, As people are joining in, I'm just going to take a few minutes to get this set up for our website and other things here. So bear with me as we go through this time. And uh, again, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us. We're so grateful that you did. Uh, This week, uh, Pastor Nelson is going to be doing the sermon. Uh, It's uh, very appreciated. Uh, As as a pastor, it's uh, hard to preach for three months in a row during the COVID time. So Pastor Nelson is preaching James chapter three today. Uh, Pastor Nelson is preaching James chapter three today, and uh, he'll be doing that. Uh, at our drive-in service at 10.30 a.m. this morning at 10.30 a.m. You're welcome to join us for that at 7301 Northeast 50th Street. And uh, we are wrapping up our study of the book of Romans, uh, wrapping up the study of the book of Romans. We've been doing this through the Explore the Bible Lifeway series uh, that we started right before the uh, pandemic started actually, and that was back in hard to believe, almost in uh, like March seventh or something like that. It's been a long time ago, and so if you are joining us, thank you so much. My name again is Darren Smith. We're from Towerview, uh, TowerviewKC.com, Towerview Baptist Church. And uh, we know these times are very difficult, especially in our country right now. So bear with me just a moment here. We're going to try and share all this stuff on our uh, our pages and all that, and. Uh, just want to get this across to all the folks who need to see it. So as we go through this time, uh, you are welcome to to join us. You can turn to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. And from there, we will get started in just one moment. Good morning if you're joining us. And uh, it's a little bit different. I'm both webmaster this morning and Bible teacher. So I'm trying to do both of these at one time. Welcome to uh, welcome to what it is. All right. I think we're ready. And uh, let's get started. As we do, let's pray together, and we will start in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Lord, we just thank you for uh, your word in days like these where we're dealing with pandemics and rioting and other things, especially in our country here in America, Father. We're reminded that you are God. Lord, we come to you knowing that you are able and sufficient. We come to you knowing that you are Uh, the true God, the one true God, and that, Lord, there's nothing that can ever change that. So, Father, we pray for our country. First and foremost, the answer to every problem is your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. Father, we pray that the gospel message of hope and peace would bring calm to these situations. Father, if you can change Saul, who was known as as a Jewish uh, persecutor of the church and other things back in the days of, of of, of, of Israel in the beginning of the, of the scriptures, Lord, of the New Testament. Father, you can change anybody's heart. Father, you are supernatural. So through these times, would you protect those protecting us and, and be with our first responders for sure. But Father, I also just pray, Father, for people to come to know Jesus. Father, that is our prayer. Father, thank you so much. The ultimate thing we're praying for today is wisdom. Father, uh, we don't base our Bible studies based on current events, but at the same time, Lord, we pray that as we study, that you give us wisdom in such times. We thank you for your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, we're going to get started this morning. Uh, Linda, it's good to see you this morning. I can't see your name, so if you're here and you're, you just say hi in the comments. That's the best way. We can't see who's live right now with us, so if you're here, you can type hello. We'll give a shout out to you as well. That's always fun stuff, but uh, as we do, so feel free to share this, guys, um, on your page, and and that would be great as well. So here we go, Romans chapter 15, and we're just ending up a study. Uh, this morning of the book of Romans. We don't have the time to go through all Romans 15 and 16, so I'm going to focus on Romans 15. That's really where we're going to be today as we go through this time. So just keep that in mind 
And uh, I've kind of, I kind of did this sermon style in a bit and kind of through my study this week, broke this down into some sections. So we're going to start in Romans 15, one to three, pull up my Bible here. Uh, Romans 15, one to three says this. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each one please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the, the reproaches of those uh, approaches of those of you fell on me. That's Romans 15, one to three. Uh, you remember the last several weeks, Pastor Nelson has done a great job reminding us and telling us uh, what is going on with the uh, book of Romans. Paul wrote this, of course, to a church he'd never met. He's ending out his book, giving practical theological statements that uh, are going to be key to their existence as Christians and as a church. And so it's good to see you. Hey, Shirley. Hey, Judy. Hey, Gilbert. Hey, Linda. Thanks for, for posting in the comments and let, you, let us know you're here. But what I want you to see first in Romans 15, 1 through 3, is that when we follow Jesus's example, we who are strong in the Lord ought not to live selfishly, but we should live sacrificially for others. We, we shouldn't be selfish. We should be sacrificial. You kind of see that in verse one. Uh, you see there that godly relationships in the body of Christ are most important. Body, The body of Christ, having godly relationships are most important. You know, Paul told the Corinthians, he said in the other letter that bad company corrupts good morals. He wrote that in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, in the resurrection chapter. He was reminding them there that if they hang around people who deny the truth of the resurrection, you know what? You're probably going to be corrupted by that as well. Hi, Cindy, Doug. And uh, so so right out of the gate in Romans 15, as he continues this practical theology, remember all theology, all of what we believe is practical. It's not just theory. It's not some college class. It's everything. So to glorify God, Paul says in verse one, you have to be willing to be sacrifice things that are dear to you for the sake of others. Hi, Judy Huntsucker. Uh, we who are strong, verse one, chapter 15, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Let me just speak to this for our COVID period. There's some, and I'm speaking broadly, Tower View family, I'm speaking broadly, not just in our church, but there are some who are ready to just grab the bull by the horns, let's get to church, let's hug, let's kiss, let's holy kiss each other like Romans 16, the end of the chapter says, you know, let's just, let's just go, right? Let's just get to it and go. And so, but there are others who are more cautious, you know, let's take, let's just take our time and do those things. Look, some of you who are stronger in the faith, this is where you're going to be challenged because your church, and again, I'm speaking broadly, not just a tower view, but your church may be at a place where they're ready to open up. And you may be ready in a place to go up and like linebacker gang style hug people because you haven't seen them for three months. And, and that's well and good. But at the same time, I think there's a very practical application here. When he says that godly relationships in the body of Christ are utmost importance, verse one, it means we're to treat each other with such an uncommon love and consideration that we make God look good as he truly is. And sometimes that means you're denying yourself the very thing you want to do in the body of Christ. Another example would be, you know, you have the freedom in Christ uh, to talk through controversial issues. This is common among seminary students. You know, we debate different issues of theology, but you get around a weaker Christian, not weaker because they have a lesser Christ. We all have the same Christ, but they're growing in their faith. Um, that can trip them up and that can confuse them. So this is very practical. He says, look, verse one, if you want to grow in Christ, you need to have godly relationships, but you need to consider others are better than yourselves and not to please yourself. And so make sure that is that is the goal here. Let's go on to verse two. Uh, so a major key, I think, to, to relationships in is that we do consider others above our rights and our needs. Let us please, uh, let us each please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You know, if you're wanting a prayer for our nation right now, and I'm not getting into any of the George Floyd stuff, guys. I think uh, if you're wanting a statement, there's a great one. The Southern Baptist Convention put out a great statement yesterday. It's biblically balanced, but faithful to Scripture and relevant. You can look that up. Uh, but let us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Would you pray that for our nation right now? I mean, guys, this is talking to Christians. Paul's writing to believers in Christ. But would you pray that people would, would, would do what is said here, what Jesus said, treat others as you'd have them treat each other, right? Matthew 7, the golden rules, we call it. For verse 3, he says, Christ did not please himself. Christ did not please himself. 
So those of us who are stronger in the faith, we have an obligation, just as our Savior did, to bear the failings of the weak. That means at times, stronger Christian in Tower View, you may not get your way for the sake of growing the faith of someone else. Your vote in a business meeting may not be necessary because it will help build the faith of someone else. But I'm a congregationalist. I get a vote, don't I? Yes. But this is the thing. We, 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 have, we have blended the models of being Americans with blending the models of what it means to be a Christian. And that can be dangerous. When it comes to these things, Paul is writing first and foremost to Christians. Being an American is a great thing. Don't hear me wrong. But what we need to remember, especially in the church, is we move forward in uncharted waters, through uncharted territory, through uncharted issues we've never dealt with from a leadership standpoint and from anything else, is we have to remember these verses. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, came down from glory. John chapter 1, he tabernacled himself and he enfleshed himself. He denied himself for our good so that we could be saved. Now, if Jesus had done like most Christians, and I'm speaking broadly here, uh, most Christians do and say, you know what? I'm free in Christ. I'm strong in Christ. This is my right to do it this way. Fill in the blank, whatever that is. Then Christ would have never come down. But he considered others better than himself, didn't he? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that he gave his life for us. With Christ as our example. We live not to please ourselves, but we live to, to, to do what he did, do what he did to sacrificially give unto others. And so when, when he says these things, realize Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. It was not for the joy in the short run, but it was for the joy in the long run, the eternal scope that Christ gave his life. So Christian, just ask yourself, you know, uh, uh, we are looking forward to congregating in person this morning as best we can and, and, and hopefully inside sooner rather than later with the, the relaxed rules. But will you think and pray through what that means for you and your faith and how you return? I like to hug people. I like to shake hands. But for the good of, of my neighbor and, and not to trip anyone up, I'm not going to do that right away. There will be a time and a place for that, but not right away. Maybe you need to consider that this morning. Maybe there's something that as we get back to normal, whatever that is in our church, that you need to consider, Lord, what is it that I need to not be selfish in, but like our Savior, as Romans 15, 1 through 3 says, I need to be sacrificial in. And Lord, it's not what I prefer, but Lord, what is it that I can do for the glory of God's name? And that's that's what I think comes to bear here. All right, so let's move on to verse four as we do. Verse four, and he goes on in verse four and says this. And if you're an underliner, I mean, all this is good, guys. It's scripture. It's God's word. But chapter uh, 15, verse four says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the scripture, we might have hope. Through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope hope. I think this is very, very important for us. This is why we need the Old Testament. You know, so many Christians, uh, I'm going to say his name, uh, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, uh, over the last few years has gotten to a place where he's ready to, uh, uh, I think the phrase he used is, was unhitch the Old Testament, unhitch, U-N-H-T-I-C-H, unhitch the Old Testament, Uh, because he thought, well, it's not relevant today. So there it is. Uh, Andy Stanley's a Christian. You can go read that debate. But guys, we're not unhitching the Old Testament. Paul says it right here. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Clearly, from Genesis 1, our, our kids are going, we started over in Genesis a few weeks ago in our study, day by day, bit by bit. You know, everything that was written was written for our instruction. Why? So that we would have hope. Number one, let me just give you some, some practical things I wrote down here. Number one, the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. When Paul quotes Romans 15, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9. Romans 15, 3 is a quote of Psalm 69, verse 9. So as you read the Old Testament, you look for Christ. Isn't isn't that right? It was always looking forward to it. You know, and, and, and so we know from 1 Peter chapter 1, that they didn't have all the details clearly. They knew the Messiah was coming. They didn't know the dates and the times. But Romans 1, 1 Peter 1, excuse me, says that even angels longed to look into this because they too knew God was up to something. 
but it came in Jesus Christ because the Old Testament points back to Jesus. The Old Testament God, let me just be clear on this. The Old Testament God is not a God of wrath and the New Testament God's not a God of love. Guess what? As you know, there's one God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his character is seamless and the same all the time. But the Old Testament points back to Christ. Number two, the Old Testament instructs us in godly living. Look at verse four of Romans chapter 15. It says, what was written? And, and that's, that's said twice. What was written in earlier times was written. Notice that double emphasis for our instruction. God saw fit in his revelation to put everything down in written form. It's not just verbal. It's not just a video screen. God, this means that to grow in knowing God and his ways, you must be a reader or, or a listener. I know some of you struggle with reading and that's okay. You know, uh, thank God for technology of audio Bibles. Yeah. I remember my mom used to have those, uh, uh, when I was at First Baptist Plattsburgh, I think in the early 90s, when I was a little kid, uh, my mom used to have those cassette tapes of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Saying, y'all remember that? Um, uh, Carrie, I'm glad you're, you're, you're feeling the hunger for God's word. It's good to have you with us. But some of y'all remember those, those cassette tapes of the, the Bible, and there would be like 100 cassette tapes. And, and to put one in, you'd have to rewind it and start it up and rewind it and start it up. Thank God for that. But if you struggle to read the Bible, Go to BibleGateway.com and click on the audio Bible. Listen to it. God has given us the, the Old Testament to point to Christ and instruct us in godly living. We have to think about the pros and cons of the people of the Old Testament. We know they were not perfect, and we know they serve God imperfectly, but God still used them. The Old Testament, he says here, Romans 15, verse 4, is also given for our perseverance. I mean, look, guys. If they could make it through Old Testament times, God was with them. We can make it through post-New Testament times. Hear that clearly. COVID is not COVID is terrible. We pray for it to end. We pray for a vaccine, but there's going to be something else. In five years, five months, five days, whatever, there's going to be something else. We're never going to be in a place until kingdom come where we are free of the things of this world. So he tells them in Romans 15, 4, if you're going to serve and be a stronger Christian, bearing the failings of the weak, like your Savior, you have to remember this is exactly what they did in the Old Testament. They persevered because God was with them. And then he says in Romans 15, verse 4, that the Old Testament was given for our encouragement. Did you notice that? Not only for our instruction, it's scripture, it's God-breathed, but also for our, uh, our instruction and encouragement. And the main encouragement that comes is that, that from the very beginning in Genesis 3:15 after Adam sinned, God promised a savior and he kept that promise. The Old Testament shows God working through human history to bring us a savior not just for Israel, but for all people who call upon the name of the Lord. For all who call upon the name of the Lord, what shall be saved. So I just want you to remember that the Old Testament is not something we just don't go through. You know, we, we try to balance out Tower View members. You remember we were going through Ezekiel uh, up until about the COVID, uh, the, the lockdown times. We want to preach both. It's all God's word from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is God's word there. Hey, and if you're not a Christian, thanks for joining us. So grateful you're here. But let me just encourage you with something. It's very common for people to say, you know what, um, you, know, or, you know what, Pastor? That Old Testament God is just a big meanie and the New Testament God's just a big teddy bear. Friend, that's hogwash. We kind of said this a minute ago, but let me be very clear. The Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God. The same people of the Old Testament are the same people of the New Testament. We are all humans in need of a Savior. If you're watching this and you don't know Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus as your Savior, you need to know that. You need to know you've sinned, that you've fallen short, that there's nothing you can do to measure up to God. The only way to be saved is by faith, by throwing yourself like a person jumping out of an airplane, holding onto that parachute for dear life, is the same way you come to God. You you, you jump, and, and so to speak, and you, you grab onto Jesus because he's the only one who can save you. Save you from what? Save you from what God has said, the wrath of judgment to come. But praise God on that cross. Jesus gave his life for us, and that's what we know. So that's what he says. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Old Testament was written for our instruction. Christian, we joke about this usually in January and February, but even Leviticus, even Deuteronomy, even uh, books like Ezekiel that are hard to understand are God's word, aren't they? 
and we need to know those. And that's why entire of you members, let me just, just give you a little cue into this. Many of you caught on to this for years, but that's why when we preach out of the New Testament, we will read out of the Old Testament, our scripture reading, our call to worship. We want to have that balance of getting both sides of law and gospel, as it's called, or Old Testament and New Testament. So if we preach out of the, the Old Testament, we'll read out of the New Testament and vice versa to keep it straight because of verses like Romans 15, 4. All right, moving on, moving on, onward and upward. Here we go. Romans 15, verse 5 says this. So, so he tells them, look, guys, the Old Testament gives you in, in encouragement and endurance and perseverance. And then he kind of prays for him in Romans chapter 15, verse 5. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement, notice those two words again, endurance and encouragement or perseverance and encouragement are, are used twice, verses four and five, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just back up Romans for a second. Remember, Paul is writing to a mixed audience. He's writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles, and they were doing this. They were, you know, Jews and Gentiles. Even as Christians, they were not getting along. Even as believers, those old habits died hard. Look, we're living right now, uh, time outside note, we're living in a, in, a, in a time right now where racism is is rearing its ugly head in ways we haven't seen perhaps. I was not around in those times, perhaps, in 50, 40, 50 years. Friends, we as Christians need to be reminded, and I'm speaking generally here, that in our churches, I'm not just speaking entirely, I'm speaking general, that in our churches, there is no color, there is no race, there is no background, there is no whatever that keeps us apart from being Christians together. Whether you are white, you are black, you're Hispanic, you're Asian, you're, you're, you're Latino, uh, you're Icelander, you're Pacific Islander, you're Samoan, whatever you are. Together, if we believe in the risen Jesus Christ, that we are saved by faith through his grace, there's one God, and Father of all, and it's only through him that we're saved. We believe in those basics and some more basics I don't have time to mention. But if we believe in those, we are united. There's not a white church in Christ. There's not a black church in Christ. We are all together the same. So as Christians, as we look across our nation, we should be the, at the utmost praying this for all of our brothers and sisters. May the God of endurance, Romans 15, 5, and encouragement grant to you to live in such harmony with one another. Look, we may disagree on, on issues of, of how we gather. We may disagree on, um, on superficial things like should we put this wall in the church nursery or should we do that? But at the end of the day, Paul was writing to groups of people who were fighting and at odds with each other. And friends, you need to be reminded that together in the gospel is what we have. And that's what he says right here, that true Christian unity, true Christian togetherness comes from God and is based on Jesus and results in God's glory. Notice what he says in verse five, that true Christian unity comes from God. It's not an organizational unity. There are a lot of people who have the name church on their sign that are no more of a church than the moose club down the, or the moose lodge down the road. Just because you're organized does not mean you're a church. Just because you're organized by your ethnicity, you know, you have a predominantly white church, predominantly Latino church, predominantly Asian church, whatever, uh, doesn't mean you're truly unified. It doesn't mean that a church is unified because they all dress the same, listen to the same pastors, go to the same conferences, or raise their kids in the same way. True unity comes by believing the absolute essentials together that we have as Christians. Jesus is fully God and man. There's one God in three persons. That Jesus literally resurrected from the dead. That the Bible is God's word from beginning to end. Inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative. Uh, sufficient, you know, these basic doctrines we have to agree on. That's where unity is found. Unity is found in right belief and right practice. Unity is found not in just agreeing to agree. People can get along all the time, guys. That's why for a church, we pray not for superficial unity, but for unity with, as he says in verse five, to have the same mind with one another according to Christ. Jesus. Look, 
Again, you can disagree. Is Jesus going to come? You know, is there going to be the start of a seven-year tribulation and people's clothes fall to the ground, kind of the left behind series theology? Or, or is Jesus going to come back um, and, and it just all happens in an instant and it's, it's done and gone? You can debate the end of Revelation until the cows come home, okay? You can debate, you know, should we have, uh, should deacons lead the church or should deacons just be servants in the church? Should, should we have Wednesday night Bible study or Tuesday night Bible study? Those are great questions. But what he says is this. Christian, listen to this. Our nation is nuts right now. You need to hear this and pray this. May the God who gives perseverance grant to you the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Pray that for churches across the nation today. Don't pray that, that they all become Southern Baptists or Presbyterian. Pray that God in the context they are, if they're true believers, will be united in Christ. Because true Christianity is only found in Christ. It's based on Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of agreeing on every point of doctrine. It's based in accord with Jesus Christ. That's what he says true unity is. It's according to Jesus. It's Jesus' church. You know, isn't that what he prayed? You know, John chapter 17, Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer in the garden before he was arrested. Uh, Lord, as you, Father, as you and I are one, that they may be one. Who's the they? The church. So, so Christian, let me remind you, we're especially, I'm going to speak to Tower View members here. We are a Southern Baptist church, proudly Southern Baptist. Uh, you know, we have our faults, we have our things, but it's pretty cool. We're, we're a, a network of like 45,000 plus churches with the largest missionary sending organization. You know, pat our backs, no, it's all God. But we have Presbyterian brothers and sisters. We have other denominations that you know, we can go through those. That, that are doing the same work, that do it a little bit differently. And we disagree on some secondary, even third-level issues. But together, by God's grace, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a Baptist corner, not going to be a Presbyterian corner, a non-denominational corner. It's there. But I want to be clear. Doctrine matters. You can't just believe what you want to believe and get to heaven. That's not what's being said. But Paul says, look, if you want to be unified, it's around Jesus Christ, not the Jesus of Mormonism. Not the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses, not the Jesus of Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxism. And yes, though we have to make our lines clear in the sand, guys, with love, with grace, but with a backbone. But at the end of the day, if our churches are unified around anything else other than what we truly believe, Paul says we've missed the boat. And that's what he's getting at. True Christian unity always glorifies God with one accord, with one voice, with one voice. This is why we take church membership seriously at Tower View, not because of any other reason, because with one voice, we want to make sure we're glorifying God, not with the older group, the younger group, the middle-aged group, together as one, we do this. And that's what he says. So let's go on here as we go through these verses. There's a lot in there and a lot to go through, but I just want to I just want to give that to you as we do that. So he goes on in verse verse seven. We'll jump down a little bit here to verse seven. And he's going to talk about accepting those who are different, accepting those who are different. And so what, what Paul is saying here in verse seven, we'll just read it here. He says, therefore, welcome. Why is the therefore, therefore? Well, based on everything we just talked about the last 26 minutes, therefore, welcome one another, Romans 15, seven, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I'm just going to stop right there because that verse can can go many different ways. What's he, what's he saying? Paul is saying that we accept those, especially those who are different than us, for the glory of God because Christ accepted you and accepted all people for, from all nations. Now, verse 7 is a summary of what he's already said in the previous six verses. We are to accept each other just as Christ accepted us. We are to accept each other just as Christ accepted us. Look, if you look for a church that's made up of people of your kind of people, you know, uh, as a pastor, this is why this rubs me the wrong way. We, uh, especially 10 to 15 years ago, there were Bibles for motorcyclists. There were Bibles for athletes. There were Bibles for hunters. There were Bibles for moms. There were Bibles for sewers, you know, the sewing Bible edition. Guys, um, look, if that's, don't let Christian consumerism dictate how we consume and, and gather together. If you look for a church that's made up of your kind of people or a Bible that everyone else reads, maybe you're a King James onlyist or an ESV onlyist or a CSB onlyist. Uh, if you're looking for that, that's not what Paul says. He says that to do this right, 
we have people that are all together in Christ. That's what matters. It doesn't matter their cultural background. doesn't matter their appearance. doesn't matter their likes or dislikes. It, it, it matters whether they know Jesus Christ. And the reason for accepting one another is that Christ accepted you when you didn't deserve it. Remember, Christian, you were outside of Christ. You were once alienated. You were once far off from the blood of Christ. But by Jesus, through Jesus, and only in Jesus, you've been brought here. And the goal of accepting one another in the church among true Christians is the glory of God. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31? He said, um, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's not just so we'll get along. It's not just so we sing kumbaya and we look nice and good for the picture. It's so that God gets the glory. Because in heaven, there will be no fractions. In heaven, there will be no divisions. In heaven, there will be no... Uh, you know, uh, this church on that corner, this church on the other. This is why we believe in what's called the universal church, the, the worldwide church. Yes, we have our local church and it's led by local pastor elders. First Timothy three talks about Titus one, but we also believe in the universal church. And some of you who've done overseas missions know this. you can, you can, uh, pop into a church in another country where you don't speak their language. You stand out like a sore thumb uh, they know you're different. They know you're they know you're from whatever country you're from and you stick out. But, you know, you're among brothers and sisters in Jesus because of uh, the Holy Spirit working in your hearts. You may not be able to understand the words they are saying you may understand a tune being played and singing in your own language. But it's it's very similar to what it is in heaven. We will be accepted by God because Christ accepted us as we were. And what does this mean for the church? I think this means something very, very simple. Look, we everybody is welcome at Tower View Baptist Church. Everybody is. And we always want to do that. But at the same time, to be a member of the church, you have to be baptized. You have to be a Christian. You have to agree with what we believe. But friends, in our church body, there's so much diversity. We have, we have blue collar. We have white collar. We have every collar there is. But at the end of the day, we are to welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. Again. May you pray this for churches today in our nation as we go through these times. He goes on in verse eight and Romans chapter three, uh, Romans chapter three, Romans chapter 15. He says, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Now, what in the world does this mean? Uh, well, he, he kind of takes a little, a different twist here in verse seven, verse eight. He, Paul basically says that Jesus's servant ministry to Israel shows that God faithfully keeps his promises, not on performance, but by grace. Notice that in verse eight, he says in verse eight again, he says, I tell you that Christ came a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. Look, God does not care about your background and, and what that means. I don't think it's as prevalent as it used to be. There used to be a time and a day that people would say, well, my mom's a Christian. My dad's a Christian. Therefore, I'm a Christian. You know, Israel said that. Israel said that in John chapter 8 when Jesus was debating with them. And they said, well, Abraham's our father. And, and if Abraham's our father, then we're God's people. It doesn't matter what we do. We're, we're basically his people. And Jesus called them the children of the devil. And they got up stones to stone him in John chapter 8, especially verse 58, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And so what he's saying here is in verse 8, it seems disconnected, Romans 15, 8, from the rest of the, 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 the passage. But what he's getting at is, is that because God focused on Israel, he kept his promises to Israel, not because they were better than anybody else, not because they were holier than any other nation, not because they were the cream of the crop based upon spirituality. He chose them in Deuteronomy. He said, I loved you because I loved you. I loved you because I loved you. Deuteronomy chapter seven. And so we know that the scripture confirms, the scripture confirms that God chose Israel, but he didn't do it because they had some super faith. He didn't do it because they were better than the rest. And Christian, this is a picture of you. God did not choose you. God did not predestine you, sovereignly elect you. As we've studied in Romans 9, well, we kind of got there, Ephesians 1. He chose you because he chose you because he chose you. Why? Because you're better looking than the rest? No. He chose you because he loves you. And this is what he's saying in verse 8. 
And he says that Jesus's mercy to Israel was not based on performance, but his truthfulness, his faithfulness. And it shows us that that the acceptance, once again, is not based on anything we bring to the table, but by his grace. Notice the end of verse eight. He's, he's expanding on this thought of accepting everybody. He says, uh, in order conf to confirm the promises and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Look, God chose Israel as an example for the Old Testament nations, but it also was to point back to, to, to bringing people outside of Israel to know him. You know, think about Rahab, think about Ruth, think about all those who are outside the fray who God let into his people. And sometimes we forget, as Israel forgets, that Israel was actually supposed to be a missionary nation. It became so insular. They became so isolated. They became so nationalistic, Israel did, especially in Jesus's time, that, that, that to allow people who were non-Jewish into the fold was, was considered to be a, a, not blasphemous, but it was, it was just not a thing you did. Now, they accepted Gentiles. They had a Gentiles area at the court of the temple. But Israel was always called to be a light to the nations. But so often it was politicized. Their nation was politicized to the point that God's thing got put off to the side. So when he says in verse 8, it's to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Therefore, verse 9, I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing glories to your name. Look, the inclusion of the Gentiles, all of us outside of Jewish line, is because Jesus came and it's the hope of salvation for everyone. Why should you welcome each other to the church? Why should you put away your preferences? Why should you bear the failings of the weak? Why should you do these things? Because it's exactly what God did when he allowed the Gentiles in and even when he accepted Israel as his chosen nation. That's why. He's arguing from history and he goes on uh, through that time. And so that's what he tells us to do. And so we go on. Uh, I hope that makes sense, guys. We're going to get through as much as we can today. Uh, and appreciate you staying with us here. But as, as he goes through this time, I want you to remember, uh, look, at, look at verse 10. He says, and again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, verse 11, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, verse 12, in him will give the Gentiles hope. Look, the Gentiles were invited to rejoice with God's people. They're invited to praise God on their own. And it was part of God's plan to bring them in. Why? Well, verse 13 tells us, look at Romans 15, 3, 15, 13, excuse me. He says that word again, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Look, the God of hope wants us to be filled with joy and peace and believing that through him, he has done all this for our good. And I want you to remember that the source of all peace is our hope in God. The source of all peace in our nation is hope in the living God. The source of all peace in our church is the living God. The source of all peace everywhere for unity is in the living God. That's it. Guys, we, we, we have to be careful that we do not allow politics to overrun our faith in Jesus Christ. Politics are important. We are to pray for those in leadership. We should pray for those. We have, a, we have a brother pastor in our association, dear friend who, who, who is uh, a pastor and also a state representative. We pray for those folks. But remember, the ultimate movement of God in this world is not through politics. It's not through petition. It's not through social movement. The movement of God in our culture is when Christians who are different, who are not like each other, who have no interest outside of Jesus Christ, come together with one voice and say, look at us. We are a motley crew of people. We have people who've been in jail. We have people who are as clean as a whistle. We have people who, 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 who make minimum wage or less. We have older. We have young. We have the infirmed. We have the successful. We have the strong. We have the weak. This is us because this is what God has made us. That is a witness that goes bigger than any vote. I'm not discouraging you from voting. Go out and cast your vote to the glory of God. But what Paul is reminding this diverse, motley crew group in Rome is that everything they do has to find their hope in God. Our hope is not who's elected in the White House in 2020, 2024, 2028, and so on. 
Our hope is not who is elected mayor of our city. Our hope is not found in who governs us. Thank God for those people, whether you agree or disagree with them. We pray for them. We we live quiet lives. First Timothy 2, Romans 13, you know, all the great commands of Scripture. Our hope is in God, in believing in Christ. Don't forget that. That's simple, Christian. You know that. Don't let that be overridden by these days. Your hope is not found in the CDC. Your hope is not found in the latest vaccine that may come out for COVID. Your hope is not found in getting back to normal. Your hope is found ultimately in Jesus Christ. And and things may never be normal again, Christian, whatever that is. They may never be. Let's just be completely honest. Hashtag TBH, to be honest, right? That's what our culture says, my, my generation. But at the end of the day, your hope is in Christ, and it's only him who can take all these crazy parts of the world and gel it together, especially in the local church, especially in the local church. So I just have a few minutes left here, and I just want to go through these. Uh, I'm going to read the section. I'm just going to read the section, and I will, uh, I'm just going to read the section here. Uh, Romans 14, uh, 15, 14 through 21. Let's read it together. I'll give some instruction. And we'll be done. I myself, Paul says, Romans 15, 14, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God given to me. Even Paul wasn't afraid to call people out, guys. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in verse 16, to the priestly service of the gospel, so that by offering the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 17. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture, Paul says, to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by powers and signs and wonders, verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Lycium, I have uh, fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And verse 20, 15, 20, I thus make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, Romans 15, 21, those who've never been told of him will see, and those who've never heard will understand. As we close, I just want to give you some principles here from these passages, and I'll, I'll try and get these out uh, slowly as I can. Number one is this. If you're a Christian, these verses remind us you are in ministry. We are blessed that our church uh, five, six years ago called me to serve as senior pastor, and I don't take that lightly. Thank you, Tower View, for uh, the trust uh, that is given. Uh, we don't always agree on decisions made, uh, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, and I make a lot of boneheaded mistakes as pastor. I first admit that. But I am called in full-time vocational ministry. But that doesn't exempt you, listener today, Christian today, from being involved in ministry. It may look different because the church isn't as open as it is. But I want you to remember in these verses, Paul is telling you, he's admonishing you that if you're a Christian, you are in ministry. You are always going to be in ministry. It doesn't change just based on the times. You're always called, whether you're young, old, whether you're able-bodied or not. But but you are called to minister to people at all times, even in days like this. And, and to minister to them, you have to walk faithfully with the Lord. And that's what I think Paul is getting at, especially in verse 15, uh, where he says, because the grace of God given to me, because the grace of God given to me, Paul was able to do what he did because God gave him the grace to do so. When he was weak, he was strong. And that is something you have to remember. And, and you also have to remember, too, did you see this? Another principle here, not only are you called to the ministry, maybe not formal ministry Christian, but every Christian, uh, we, the old Baptist term is the priesthood of the believer. Every Christian is called to serve God in some way. And, and you're to minister effectively to others because you yourself are, are being ministered to by God. But thirdly, he says, trust God to work through others in the body. Trust God to work through others in the body. I, I love that God used Paul to bring the Gentiles to faith. And through that faith, the Gentiles affirmed Paul's ministry. That's what he says. He says, I have reason to be proud of my work, Romans 15, 17. I have reason to be proud because those Gentiles weren't just dead. They weren't just like the seed that, as Jesus said, that fell on the ground and sprouted up for a bit and then died because it didn't have faith. They grew and grew and grew and grew and grew in faith because they truly had faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to remember, too, 
to be sensitive to the needs of others, to be sensitive to the needs of others. And, and what this means is, guys, there, there are going to be times, as Paul says here, that you're going to need uh, to be bold. You're going to need to be uh, as gentle as a dove. You're going to need to do these things. Do it to God's glory. Pray for the right words at the right time. You know, as Matthew 18 talks about, when you confront another person in sin, you don't just walk in there cavalier style, you know, guns blazing. You go, you pray about it, you consider it, you humbly take your concern to that other Christian and you bring it before them. But I want you to notice too, and I don't, don't hesitate to be bold and challenging or, 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 or reminding others and what they already know. Look, we live in a PC culture where upsetting the apple cart is something we don't like to do. But Paul says there's a time to be bold. Close with this. I just want you to notice what he says. Notice verses 17. Uh, excuse me. Where did I just lost my sign? Yeah. Notice verses uh, 18 and 19. He says that that he will speak of nothing except Christ by word or deed, power and signs by the power of the Spirit of God. Notice that Paul does not say he had the latest church growth strategy. Notice Paul does not say that he had the latest, coolest trend within churches. 20 years ago, it was the prayer of Jabez. Then it was the 40 days of purpose. Then we had the, uh, oh golly, the, uh, uh, I can't even remember now. There's so many trends that come and go, guys. And they all perhaps have a place, good or bad, in, in God's providence. They do have a place. But I want you to remember, Christian, there's not a, a system, there's not a program, there's not a planning that can ever overtake the work of God through the Holy Spirit. Look, Christian, you want to be effective, then, then pray, Lord, send your spirit. Prepare the way. Pre prepare hearts that God would, would, you would be fruitful. God used words and deeds and powers and signs and the spirit to bring people to know Jesus Christ. There wasn't a, 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 a you know a responsive dance. There wasn't a thousand times playing just as I am and waiting for people to respond. There wasn't a, oh, raise your hand. I see that. There was the power of God on Paul's ministry. Do not let man-made traditions overtake the simple power of the God. Look, let me just throw this out again. We had our, our president had a phrase that said, make America great again. Guys, I'm going to challenge you with a Christian phrase. Make Christianity weird again. Make Christianity weird again. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is simply don't let the culture of Christianity, don't let the, the publishers of Christianity, don't let the big talking heads of Christianity dictate the power of God. Paul says to be effective, to bring people to Christ, to bring them into the fold of Christ. It doesn't take a seminary degree. It doesn't take some super cool plan. It simply takes being obedient just to tell people the old, old story that you're a sinner, Christ died for you, and he's able to bring you back to spiritual life. It really is that simple. Don't overcomplicate the gospel. Don't overcomplicate evangelism. Don't overcomplicate things. Well, pastor, are you saying it? Is it wrong to have a block party? Or No, guys, it's not wrong to have events and, and tell people about Jesus. But in those events, in that planning, is the gospel number one or are the logistics number one? Is the budget the number one thought about such things? We need to be wise about that. Or is it bringing people to Christ? Paul says that the goal of ministry should be to proclaim the gospel that people are genuinely converted and that they are obedient disciples. That's the prayer. So they too, with one voice, can glorify God and our Father together with that. Guys, I'm going to end there. There's so much here we could go through. Thank you for joining us. Um, guys, we love you. Uh, it is hard on any given Sunday to go through uh, a few verses let alone a chapter or so. It's good to see you, Robert, Carol. I see you posted there. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Carrie, Joe. Uh, we, we thank you for your attendance today. But Tower View members, I thank you so much for sticking with us. I know there's so much going on in our world right now. But I just want to remind you that if you're a Christian, you're secure in Christ. He can't ever love you more than he's loved you now. Uh, nothing can take you away from God. But if you if there's any verse I really would ask you to look into, it's verses four and five. Let's read those again. I know a pastor says he's going to end and he goes to another verse, right? Verses four and five. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And through endurance, through encouragement and the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. With one voice, you may glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, God is faithful. 
He got Israel. He got all the true believers through tough times. He will see us through. I don't know what that means economically. I don't know what that means politically. I don't know what that means socially. That is above my pay grade. It's above any expertise I have. But I do know, Christian, this one thing. God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He who watches over Israel never, neither slumbers nor sleeps. God sees, God knows, God remembers. Those are the exact verbs he used in Exodus 2 when he told Moses about him uh, remember, or he told us about what he did for Israel. He's with us. He's not letting us go. Hang in there. Pray. Seek God's glory. Pray through these verses for our nation. Pray for leaders. Pray for peace. Pray for calm. Pray for those affected by this pandemic. But most of all, Pray that the church is unified with one body, one voice, one faith, one baptism, so that despite all of our uh, differences, we are united on this one thing. We serve the risen Jesus. He's coming back. He's coming again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. We pray, Lord, as we, Lord, as we look around, there's so much animosity. Father, I know uh, I was talking primarily to Americans today, but Lord, we're not, uh, we're not so, uh, uh, quick to think that there's not other people, as we've seen through backlog statistics that are washing us around the world at some point. Father, but we especially pray for our country today. Father, may the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ be prevalent. Father, may peace and truth come only through him. Father, be with those people on both sides of the lines. May Christ be exalted. Father, thank you so much. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that our only hope, our only trust for endurance and, and, and scripture uh, and perseverance is through your son. We pray that your spirit move ahead of us, before us, and in us and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, again, guys, we love you. We, we, we're grateful for you. My name is Darren Smith from Tower View. Our number has been scrolling across the screen right there for you to see, 816-368-1330. You can call or text that if you have questions. If you're not a Christian, Thank you so much for joining us. We want to talk to you about the love, the hope, the uh, the, the knowledge we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, just feel free to message us. Or if you're watching us, go on our website right, right there. It's hard to do this backwards. Right there, uh, towerofukc.com. And you can click on the gospel at the talk, not non-Christian. And it talks about in 60 seconds what it means to know Jesus Christ. The most important decision, not who you're going to vote for, not what uh, job or what uh, career you're going to take. But where will you spend eternity? That is the greatest hope we have. Tower of you folks, uh, pray for Pastor Nelson. Again, I appreciate my brother. Uh, it's uh, just good for me to take a, a break, not a break from working. This wasn't a vacation week, but just from preaching for a week. Uh, he'll be preaching. Uh, Pastor Nelson will be from James 3, 1 to 12. As always, uh, we'll have worship songs up about nine-ish or so, uh, probably about 10 minutes or so uh, that were recorded to worship with. And uh, the sermon pre-recorded. Uh, we'll be up about 10-ish or so on the website and on our Facebook group. You can join us for that. Linda, thank you. I uh, see your comment there. And guys, if you have any questions, let us know. Tyra, we love you. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for your patience during these times. And thank you for all that you do. Guys, we love you. Uh, those going to uh, drive in church, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much. 10.30 a.m., our parking lot. Bye-bye.